Welcome to Operation Flourish, a podcast designed to help you flourish in all aspects of life. Whether you're a Miss America contestant, an athlete, or someone with a growth mindset striving to unlock your full potential, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Kayla Myers, Miss Northeast. Let's dive into today's episode. Well, hello, everyone. I am ecstatic about this episode, per usual, but welcome to the Operation Flourish podcast episode where we are talking about the law of marginal gains. What is that? Probably something you've never heard of, but I'm excited to bring this concept to you, and it's something I focused on a lot with my background in schooling in my master's program with sport exercise and performance psychology. I actually led a gymnastics retreat where this was a huge topic with these collegiate gymnasts. So let me share what the law of marginal gains is. It comes from the idea that if you break down a big goal into small parts and improve on each small part, you can have a huge improvement when you put all these parts back together. Essentially, the law of marginal gains means that the whole will be greater than the sum of the parts when you put it together. So, my mission today is to show you how the law of marginal gains can apply to every area of your life. I know my last episode was mock interviews for my pageant gals. This episode applies to everyone, whether you're looking to improve your relationships, business, career, sales, sports, every area of life can be applicable and can be improved significantly if you apply the law of marginal gains. I am giving you one of the key ingredients to being successful without focusing just on the success and finding yourself disappointed when you don't achieve it. So how can I sell you on this even more if you're not already sold? I want to start by telling you a story that is really powerful. I still remember the first time I heard this story. And now this isn't some made up fairy tale story. This is a real story. Are you ready? So let's travel back in time to 2002. For some of y'all, you were just born then, which is crazy. But anyways, during 2002, a man whose name was Dave Brailsford, he was hired as the performance director for British Cycling. Now, this man, Dave, was tasked with just one mission primarily, and that was to improve the team overall and their outcomes. A lofty mission, I will say. And that's because at the time, no British cyclist had ever won the Tour de France. And British cycling had only won a single gold medal in the past 76 years. They were not a well-renowned team. They did not have the medals or the history of success to go off of. They were hardly on the map. Now, to most, 
improving the team and their outcomes probably seemed like an impossible feat. But Dave Brailsford did not let this overwhelm him. Rather than seeing this as a problem, he saw it as a challenge that he was ready to tackle creatively. Now, I believe that everyone has their specific strengths and life experiences and knowledge that they bring to the table. And when we can have diverse people use that knowledge and change things up to get outside of the box, that's where great outcomes come. And that is exactly what Dave Brailsford did. He used his specific expertise as a former professional cycler, also as a graduate of an MBA program, so business, to tackle this challenge. Now, Dave, he had the idea that maybe, just maybe, applying the business theory of the aggregation of marginal gains or the law of marginal gains to the British cycling team could be beneficial. What this means is that rather than focusing just on the winning and the overall outcome as we often do in sports, instead, let's shift to thinking about all the areas where we can seek 1% improvements as the British cycling team. Now, this concept of the law of marginal gains, it's also similar to this concept called Kaizen. And I heard about the concept Kaizen for the first time about a year ago when I was actually in the Arizona Diamondbacks developmental program. And this was an excellent program. And Kaizen is one of their main rooted philosophies. And it's stuck with me ever since. So I want to give you the word Kaizen. It's K-A-I-Z-E-N. And it means continuous improvement. Y'all can hear how that correlates with 1% better every day. It is a growth mindset. Now, pulling that back to this situation, Dave, he had a strong belief that if the British cycling team could improve every area of cycling by just 1%, we're not asking for big, dramatic changes, you know, 0 to 100 or even 10% better. Just 1%. He had the belief that if they could do this, the compound effect or the aggregation of the marginal gains would result in outstanding improvements. Now, in the case of Dave, this meant adopting a philosophy of continuous improvement or Kaizen while focusing on the small things that we could control. We know that these small things will compound or essentially add up over time. And if you want to learn more about this compounding effect, I strongly, strongly encourage you to check out the book called The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. I listened to this book for the first time about a year ago. I listened to it on Audible, so I actually got to hear it, which is why I didn't say read. But it is incredible to realize how when you're doing habits or you're setting goals, how every little thing compounds and adds up on itself. Good and bad. We'll talk about that. Now, you have the resource, so back to the story. Dave's goal was to change the small things. So, 
some of the things he started with might be obvious changes we would think of for cyclists. Think about fine-tuning the nutrition of the riders. Really hyper-focusing in on the training program and how they can make it as specific and relatable to the actual act of cycling so they can perform better. They also dove into the ergonomics of the bike seat, thinking about the design, how they can make it more comfortable and also more efficient. They also explored the weight of the bike tires for efficiency and performance. All of those things make a lot of sense, right? We in modern day know, okay, get a fancier bike for running. Get a fancier pair of shoes. There are things that we can do that are pretty logical, fine-tuning the nutrition. These are things we oftentimes think about, right? But most people stop there with the obvious things. And that can be the issue. Now, Dave Brailsford... He kept seeking out new and creative ideas for 1% improvements. The improvements that he thought about and implemented were so often overlooked by most people. But these small things are what made him so successful and the team so successful because most people don't do these things. So some examples of what else he did beyond just the design of the bike and nutrition was thinking about and researching what is the best pillow for ideal sleep. That way, they can give that pillow to all the bikers so they can bring it with them to hotels when they're traveling for competitions so they can improve their sleep. Because we know how important sleep is for everyone, but especially athletes. They also tested the most effective massage gel, and they explored other recovery techniques. Not only did they design the bike tires, as I mentioned earlier, but they also rubbed alcohol on the tires for better grip. For training, they used biofeedback sensors to monitor the athlete's workouts and their performance. That means the athlete gets to see their stats, think similar to... An Apple Watch per se, but sometimes a little bit more detailed for what these biofeedback devices are showing. But you can see it and you can modify your performance in real time. And that's what that feedback component is. They also, for the British cycling team, used electrically heated overshorts to help keep their muscles at a good temperature for performance. Another thing which I thought was really interesting, they had to transport their bikes in these trucks. So something they did was they painted the inside of the trucks white. And they painted it white so they could better see any dust because dust could degrade their bikes stored in the truck and make them not perform as well. Such a little thing, a minor detail most people would never, ever consider. But it adds up in the law of marginal gains. Another thing that shocks most people when you hear it the first time around was that the British cycling team invested in hiring a surgeon to teach the cyclist the best way to wash their hands. 
Yeah, you heard that right. The thing we learn in preschool, kindergarten, whenever we learn that, washing your hands. They learned how to wash their hands the best and most effective way possible to prevent sickness and infection. Because if they're sick, they're not going to perform at their best. That is how specific and intentional they were. They left nothing to chance. They sought to control everything they could. And this was in every area of life. They truly sought out those 1% gains. Now, Dave, he predicted that these small changes, they would take a little bit of time. So he estimated that these would compound and add up the marginal gains. And in five years, he thought they could win the Tour de France. Now, I hate to inform you, he was wrong. The British cycling team did not win the Tour de France in five years. They won it in three years. After this, the British cycling team accumulated a total of five Tour de France victories in six years. They won 60% of the gold medals in the 2008 Olympics and set nine Olympic records and seven world records at the 2012 London Olympics. That's incredible. They went from being one of the least successful teams to the most successful team in modern cycling history. So how did this happen? Most people see it as an overnight success, or they see it as luck. When in reality, the little things added up in alignment with the law of the aggregation or summation of marginal gains. It also probably improved their team culture because everyone was excited and on board to make these small positive changes. Everyone was committed, and there was a unified belief that this was going to make them better. And even if you're not positive if every change will make you better, most likely you know it's probably not going to harm you. And that helped quite a bit between the compound effect and the commitment and new team culture. So what's the bottom line or the takeaway? The way I see it is that success, it comes from the summation of all the little things. It's about the marginal gains, which make a large difference as they compound over time. So many people think of success as something that happens, like it's an event or something. Someone becomes a quote-unquote overnight billionaire or success. They start a business. They lose 25 pounds or even win a big competition like the Tour de France. But it didn't happen as just an event in that moment. It was all the little things leading up to that event that contributed to the success. Now, similarly, just about every habit of yours has been developed 
due to the smaller actions and decisions that you make each day and over time. Now, circling back to what I said earlier, these things compound, good or bad. So, on a positive note, that means that all the small good things, they add up to create positive outcomes. But on the other hand, you should be aware that it also means the negative actions and decisions. They also add up, resulting in an aggregation or summation of marginal losses. Now, you usually develop bad habits or bad outcomes because of small choices. But I do want to acknowledge There are also other factors that can be at play too. I don't want to deny systematic things. I also want to make sure I'm not invalidating any circumstances or experiences. But I think if we all deeply reflect and we can put our egos aside, not saying we're all super cocky and egotistical, but everyone has some sense of ego and wanting to protect themselves. And we all at some point in our lives can admit to making some excuses. But if we really think about the things that we can control in our life, even if we have a lot going on, we ultimately do have some level of control. Again, acknowledging privilege, acknowledging there are some other barriers to account for. And that's why I do my best to also have episodes where I provide resources. But right now, thinking about the things you can control in your specific situation, and that will look a little bit different for everyone. But how can we make sure that With what we can control, we're developing as many good habits and making the best decisions we can to contribute to a positive compound effect rather than a negative compound effect. Because seriously, think about the impact of small 1% declines. That's going to result in a big decline over time as well. Think about if you're a student and you're skipping class, you're submitting homework late, you're on your phone in class rather than paying attention, you're not going to office hours. One of those things, okay, understandable, there might be a lot going on, but when you let all of those things happen over and over and over again, chances are you're not going to do well in the class. That is the law of marginal losses. So we want to flip that script and make it the law of marginal gains by being intentional with what we can control in our situation. Those things may seem so little in the short term, the positive and the negative. They might even feel meaningless in the day by day, just another decision or thing you have to get through. But I do want to warn you that as time ticks, These things do compound, and it creates a big gap over time. That's why people who are complacent and just get by, they stay about the same. But people who do small things every single day, it seems like they're so dramatically better because it compounds, and that is where the gap comes from. So I want you to take a moment And really let that soak in. The message of the story, 
but also just the story itself about the British cycling team. That's so powerful. So now you heard a sports example with cycling. But you might be thinking, Kayla, you said this can apply to anyone. I'm not an athlete. This could never apply to me. Well, let's break it down on some other areas where the law of marginal gains or losses, which hopefully we can avoid, is so applicable. And as someone who is a big health advocate, let's start there. Let's dive into nutrition. Now, we live in a modern-day society in America specifically where people think if they want to modify their nutrition, it has to be big and dramatic changes. And that is why going on these diets is so unsustainable the majority of the time. It seems overwhelming. But what if instead... You set small, 1% goals for improvement and made small nutrition changes. I actually just learned about a new nutrition screener. And essentially, it would have a statement like, I consume this many sugary drinks per week. And they would check off in the box, always, never, sometimes. Now, with each rating they received a score. So if they said always for the behaviors that promoted good and sustainable, nutrient-dense nutrition, they received higher points. Now, if they answered always or never to the questions that had high points for poor nutritional behaviors that were very calorically dense but not nutrient-dense, that had research and evidence-based negative health outcomes, they got lower point scores. And at the end, we add the point scores up, and the higher the score, the healthier the diet, and the better it will be for their long-term health outcomes, such as preventing disease and early death. On the opposite side, the lower the score, the more risk that individual had. Now, If an individual scored a 10 out of 25 on this scale, our goal would not be to have them jump all the way up to a 20 and gain 10 points. That is big and dramatic changes. And realistically, do you think that person is going to sustain it? No, they're going to be overwhelmed. Even the most committed of people might do it for a week, two weeks, a month but they're probably going to be overwhelmed. Instead, imagine if this person struggled with getting vegetables and they drank too many sugar-sweetened beverages and didn't eat enough protein. Three areas. Rather than changing everything and telling them they need to get this amount of grams of protein and track all of this and all of these different things they need to do, what if instead we just said, do you think it's realistic to... Maybe reduce your sugary beverages by one drink per week. So we just get one a week, rather than telling them to cut it out all together. Chances are if they did that, they're going to go right back to it. Because it's not pure withdrawal, but it might feel like that to them. You're going to be more successful typically slowly cutting it down, making small changes. 
Same thing for a client I had that never ate vegetables. So we started by having them take a vegetable supplement, type of greens. Then we had them find a vegetable that they actually kind of liked if it was mixed in a food. And they slowly ate that. And that is that progressive, small action we can take for big changes. Imagine if you started adding vegetables to one meal a day, drinking that one less sugary beverage, maybe adding protein to one of your meals, and actually ate breakfast. Starting to do those things, imagine how your health could change. That's nutrition. What about movement? Maybe it's parking in the back or even the middle of a parking lot instead of searching for that spot up front. Chances are you'll even save yourself some time because sometimes it takes a bit to find that front row spot when you could just whip right into one of the back spots and walk up and get your steps. Imagine if you took the stairs instead of the elevators. Now, if you're in a high-rise building, I don't expect you to go all the way up. But if you live on floor three of your apartment and you have the choice, which one are you taking? I always find it ironic. I study in a school of kinesiology building, and so many of us take the elevators, which there's nothing wrong with that. But it is a little bit counterintuitive to what we do in kinesiology, the study of movement, when there are stairs, and many of us are capable of taking the stairs. Imagine if we took walks before, after meals, or on our breaks. If instead of maybe doing a sedentary activity with friends, like you know, sitting in the movie theater and sitting down for two hours. We went for a hike or went kayaking or exploring something. Even did a haunted house walking through it. That's all movement. You could also do that and the movie, maybe doing both. But imagine if you added activity to that and normalized that with friends. Maybe going to the gym is overwhelming. So you get a cheap set of bands off Amazon, like the little mini bands. And you just did... 10 minutes from home to start, maybe eventually 15 minutes, build it up to 20 minutes, and so on. They all add up. That's the beauty of the compound effect. Maybe you're someone who's really trying to level up their workout game, and that's what you're really into. You might not see a difference in the mirror every day. You might not see a difference in your numbers of weights you can lift it every day if your goal is strength. But changing your diet, improving your sleep schedule, maybe adding supplements if you do your research and make sure it's a well-evidence-based supplement. Maybe you get in a different environment, a gym that's more supportive, or classes that guide you. Maybe you have the financial means and you get a trainer. Or you try different types of activity. Maybe instead of just cardio, you do corrective exercises like yoga. Or you try some strength training and mix that in. I talked about progression a bit with nutrition, but it's so important maybe you start with two days a week. Then the next week or two, you go up to three days a week. And when you've mastered that, you go to four days a week. That's the concept of progressive overload. These are all things in health that help with marginal gains. So maybe you feel like you've mastered the health thing or health is not your jam or your focus right now because we can only focus on so many things at once. So let's tackle one area at a time. Maybe you're a student and your goal is academics. 
Imagine in your academics, if you got to class at least 5 to 15 minutes early, if you reviewed the notes and PowerPoints or readings before class, and then reflected again after class, even if it's just five minutes. Imagine if you introduced yourself to all of your professors, if you committed to office hours once a month with your professor, if you attended tutoring sessions, if you used a writing center for some of your papers, and if you used a calendar to schedule out your assignments. If you did all those little things, or even a combination of some of those that are most relevant to you. Imagine how your academic experience and outcomes would change. And none of those things are focused on the outcomes that I just said. But doing these small, actionable steps will help promote that outcome. Shifting from academics, maybe your jam is business. Let's think about business operations, for instance. So if you want to raise revenue, maybe you raise the prices and do the research on that. Maybe you want to increase company satisfaction and make that 1% better. So you might increase the health benefits or increase pay or benefits for employees related to pay like bonuses. Maybe you improve the PTO policy or you listen to employee feedback to make sure their voices feel heard and valued. Maybe you also want to pour 1% of your efforts into decreasing turnover rate. So you make small changes to hiring practices and improve company culture like fun team bonding events. My workplace is doing a fall festival event where we're painting pumpkins and doing hay rides at someone's farm and improving that culture. Maybe that's where you put your energy and efforts. It can be fun things too. Essentially, How you can feed into being 1% better in each of these areas is how you can improve your business. And you can apply that to specific projects and businesses. Maybe you're the CEO and you can think about the little 1% steps that you can make to be a better CEO and to be a leader who lifts up the others who you lead. Maybe you're doing sales. And part of that 1% better is knocking at more doors than you did the previous day before or making more calls than you did the previous day before so you can get more leads. Maybe it's watching more videos or investing in continuing educations so you can develop a new sales strategy or can fine-tune yours. Maybe it's practicing sales with others. And maybe it's putting energy and efforts into debriefing what went well and areas to improve with sales. All of these things are intentional and can make you 1% better. Let's shift to relationships because we all got relationships of some sorts. Friendships, acquaintances, workplace relationships, you name it. Imagine how different your relationships would be if you listened, actively listened, to understand rather than to respond. Imagine if you put energy into checking in on friends on a set time basis like weekly or monthly, even if it's just a quick text message. Imagine if you put 1% into setting a habit of telling one or more people what you appreciate about them or what you're thankful for. 
What if you prioritize doing something fun with others at least once a month? Or if you took time to learn boundary setting strategies and conflict management strategies, pouring 1% into each of these areas, imagine how dramatically your relationships could change for the better. But again, if you pour 1% into conflict, into avoiding boundaries, into avoiding hard conversations, and don't actively invest in reaching out to your friends, that's where the law of marginal losses comes in to hurt you. Let's shift to one last area, pageantry. Think about how you could, just sitting right now, think about your posture. Could you practice better posture throughout the day? Not only is that good for pageants and training your brain to have good posture, it's good for job and workplace interviews because that's your posture, that's your presentation and first impression. It's also good for your health and spinal posture and spinal health. What if you practiced your walk between classes? I actually talked to someone about this the other day about, you know, posture, practicing your walking between classes, not fearing if other people are judging you. Chances are they're probably just thinking you're really confident. And I actually had one of my good friends I was helping tell me that she wore a specific dress so she could do that and practice that. That's pageant prep, my friends. What if you focused on talking slowly and enunciating in daily conversations. That's practice for pageants, for public speaking. Maybe you're a leader in some sort of business or organization. That is intentional 1% practice. For Miss America, think about searching for new talent skills or doing talent lessons or practices. For my talent, it's stretching because your girl is losing her flexibility. So I need to be intentional and pour 1% into that area each day rather than trying to cram last minute because that ain't how stretching works. And that's not how most things work. What if you focus on eating foods that make you feel good and move your body as part of the Miss America Fit Initiative so you feel strong and healthy for the opportunity of Miss America? Miss Indiana, or the local title, whatever organization you're in? What if you talked about your service initiative or passion with others? Did mock interviews or did community service events, planning and goal setting? That's pageant related, but even if you're going to be applying for a job, so many of those skills are transferable there. Maybe not the talent ones per se, but maybe reviewing your resume, knowing your strengths, thinking about your posture, your confidence, and your presentation. Maybe even getting some mock interviews there and looking at what type of questions you might be asked and what questions you want to ask because that's a privilege Miss America contestants don't really get. We get asked the questions. We don't really get to ask those questions as you might in a job interview. Now, all of those things that I mentioned in pageantry That law of marginal gains is a large, large part of how I attribute my success at Miss Indiana this past year as first runner-up. 
I didn't cram last minute trying to do all of these things and go zero to a hundred or even 50 or 10% in these categories. Each day, I just focused on getting 1% better in some of these areas I had identified. And that wasn't just for pageantry or scholarship competitions. It's also been for school. It's been for work. It's been for relationships, especially trying to make that a bigger priority. And it's been for self-care. Again, it is every aspect of life. As we get ready to wrap up, I just want to remind you that it does take time. But that's the beauty in it. Over time, you are planting those seeds, building those roots in a strong foundation so you can flourish. I'm not going to spend time telling another story, but I recommend Googling the story of the Chinese bamboo. It gets watered every single day. Year one, no growth. Year two, no growth. Year three, still no growth. Year four, yet again, no growth. But year five, the bamboo sprouts, and then it shoots up hundreds of feet. That's the story of the Chinese bamboo and the work paying off over time. Another thing I want you to take away is that everyone needs to be committed if it's team effort. And if it's your effort, you need to be fully committed, invested, intentional, and also have a deep belief that you can actually achieve it. You need to get rid of that doubt or start to explore ways to manage the doubt. So finishing up this episode, I just wanted to give you a few tangible takeaways or application, kind of the what now part. I encourage you to set a schedule for things that you want to do. How can you be intentional each day? Wake up knowing your intention. I also say once you have those goals, never miss twice. That's a rule that a lot of people follow. You know, maybe you have this goal to practice something, to work on something, to go to the gym, to eat vegetables, and you miss it. I think giving yourself grace is important, but how can you give yourself grace and use it as motivation to do better and not miss a second time? We don't want to let the law of marginal losses add up. We want to stop that, which is where the never miss twice rule comes from. Do not let it snowball and get out of control. Seek out help and resources to prevent you from missing twice. I also want to leave by encouraging you to ask yourself these final questions. What are areas where you think you can improve by 1%? Kind of a sub-point to that. What are specific things you can do within these areas to make 1% progress? These are the specific and tangible action steps. Another question. How can you and will you hold yourself accountable? A few ideas on that one if you're stuck. Maybe you write down your intentions to be 1% better. Look at them every day. Or maybe you tell someone your goals and intentions to be 1% better as an extra form of a social 
accountability. I encourage you to take those tangible steps and applications with you. But with that, I truly hope learning about the law of marginal gains has been helpful in all areas of life, or at least just one. So I want to thank you for tuning into this episode, and hopefully you'll come back next Thursday for a little bit more so you can learn to flourish. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Operation Flourish podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe, leave a review, and share on your social media or with a friend. It goes a long way. See you next Thursday.